Tech Podcast with Accessibility Sprinkles. I'm Shelley, your host. Well, we have some great returning guests today. Back on Parallel 43, we talked to Christine Malik and J.J. Hunt, who host the fabulous Talk Description to Me podcast. And we learned all about the many things that they describe from current events to, and believe Christine mentioned, that she was a space nerd. And so one of the things they describe has to do uh, with space on their own show. But they're expanding that even further and going out into the cosmos, if you will. And uh, so first, let me welcome uh, Christine and JJ back to Parallels. Great to have you. Hey, Shelley. Thanks for having us back. Great to be here. Good to have you. And I'm so glad that we're here to talk about what we're going to talk about today with uh, my third guest, who is Kim Arkan. She is a data visualization scientist with NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory. Kim, it is wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you all for coming to talk to me about something I know way less about than than either of you do than any than I, any of you do, but that I'm I'm super excited to learn more about, which is not only astronomy and data visualization, but how to make that accessible. So let me start, Kim, by having you tell us about the Chandra X-ray Observatory, because I'm, I'm not familiar with that. All things NASA are awesome. And I looked at the website and like every NASA website, there are beautiful pictures of the cosmos. But, but what does the Chandra Observatory do? Yeah, so NASA's Chandrax Observatory is a telescope that was designed specifically to detect X-ray X-ray emission from the universe. So it's like a sister telescope to the Hubble Space Telescope. It's part of NASA's Great Observatories program, um, which included Hubble, Chandra, Spitzer, and also the Compton Gamma Ray Observatory. And it's really important to be able to study the universe in all different kinds of light because there are things that we can understand with X-ray information that we just can't understand using any other kind of information from things like exploding stars and different things about black holes to clusters of galaxies. And where's Chandra located? Well, Chandra goes about a third of the way to the moon at its farthest point from Earth. And it was launched back in 1999 and has been exploring that high energy universe ever since. So would that be called a high Earth orbit, or is it outside the... the it is. Where is it in, in relation? So, okay, so it's still in the Earth orbit, but it's pretty far along the way to the moon. It's a highly elliptical orbit around the Earth. But yes, at its farthest point, it goes about a third of the way to the moon, which is, you know, pretty out there. We can't reach that with a space shuttle, for example. So Chandra had to work perfectly right out of the shuttle. It could never be visited again. And the only way we can talk to it now is by uploading code. And what kinds of information do we get from Chandra that we can't get from other telescopes that are orbiting the Earth? So we're looking, again, at like high energy processes. So Chandra's studying like really spectacular glowing remains of exploded stars, which helps it take like the spectral information that's sort of DNA or fingerprint that shows the various kinds of elements and how they're dispersed from them. Um, It can also look around, for example, supermassive black holes, the one at the very center of our Milky Way galaxy. We recently released a new image and data set on our supermassive black hole, black hole called Sagittarius A star that was a really rich, rich data set. We found black holes across the universe, things like neutron stars, magnetars, you name it. It sounds like science fiction, but it's science fact. Very, And that's basic science that can be used for all sorts of applications or just to learn more about the universe, right? Yeah, so... 
With astronomy today, it's this idea that you need many different kinds of light and other kinds of information as well to be able to understand what's happening out there. And we can, you know, get these little bits and pieces, all this sciencey goodness, if you will, um, from that information and then learn more about the universe around us. And you are a data visualization scientist, and I occasionally interact with data visualization in my day job as a as a journalist, and I always think of it in terms of how to make information available to people in maps and charts. So, so what does that mean in terms of what you do? Yeah, you know, I like to think that I play in a sandbox of data. <laughs> I think it makes my job sound pretty fun, but essentially I get to tell stories with data. I get to work on the data that no human can ever naturally see, right? We cannot see x-ray light. We cannot see radio light or infrared light directly with human vision naturally. So we have to think of ways to be able to represent that uh, information, those parts of the universe that humans can't see. And those choices that are made in that representation are really important. Are we going to represent the data through an image, through time series, through a 3D model, or through sound, or something else? Um, so those are the things that I, I get to think about and work through in my daily job. So you have access to all those tools, and you're making decisions about which kinds of tools are best for the kind of data that you have to describe. Exactly. Yep. Well, and, and why Christine and JJ come into play here is that obviously data visualization is highly visual. And what Christine and JJ are interested in is describing that for a blind or a visually impaired audience. So how did you guys start working together, JJ? Well, it was actually through Chris and some sonifications, wasn't it? Was it that was what got you into it first, wasn't it, Christine? That's right. There's a a guy who's based in Toronto named Matt Russo, and he is that lovely combination, an astro... Is he an, he's an astronomer, maybe an astrophysicist and a musician, so really interested in sound. And what he started to do was take data and make soundscapes out of it. And so frequencies would be sort of translated into the auditory range. And he was doing work that I found absolutely compelling. So I went to one of his shows that was at a planetarium and his work is not, I don't think he started out primarily thinking about presenting to blind or low vision people. This was just his way of interacting with the data because he's a musician. And I've always been a, an astronomy geek and the first time I attended one of his shows, I was in awe. I was really, my goosebump muscles were sore at the end of it because it brought astronomy to me in a way that I'd never experienced it before. And I, I imagine it's what people get from looking at the night sky, for example. So till that point, it had just been sort of an intellectual and exercise for me. And so I loved what Matt was doing. And so I worked with him on a few different projects for things that I was doing. And um, with NASA, I, I love to follow what they do, and they often post images, and particularly with Chandra, who's working with non-visual data, I could tell that what they were doing was taking data and putting it into one form that made it um, digestible by humans. And, and I thought, that's a great idea. And what else can we do? So Matt was doing work with Chandra to sonify some of their projects, which is absolutely compelling. And everyone, whether you're blind or not, should check it out because it's really amazing. And 
So when I was reading the descriptions, the the verb, like the written descriptions of the visualizations, I was getting pretty lost because it's it's hard science and I'm not a scientist. And it's it's a construct on top of a construct, if you will. And so I thought, I wonder if there's another way to come at this. And so uh, JJ and I having experience together as of sort of describing the world, JJ describing me asking questions from the podcast, we, we kind of approached Kim and said, here's what we've been doing. Here's an episode on space. It's the kind of work that we, we like to do. Is there room uh, for descriptions of the visualizations. And so it's a super layered product that you end with because the visualizations are themselves are a construct in the first place. Then they're being verbal, they're being written about by the scientists. Then um, the, the sort of model that we came to is that JJ then takes that image, which is a construct of the data, and describes what the image shows integrated with some of, with some of the science. And so what we end up with is um, the, the visualization then for particularly geared towards blind and low vision uh, audiences, although I think it's useful for anyone, is kind of an integrated description where you have the image is described in literal terms, but also the science behind it is embedded in in the written description. So you end up with a very cogent uh, end product that uh, explains what the phenomenon is, but also how it's been represented visually. And Kim, when Christine came to you and said, this is what I'm interested in, what was your initial reaction? Well, I had listened to one of their podcasts um, describing a NASA mission and just really enjoyed it. And like we were talking about earlier, I, I have a really rich toolbox in front of me and I get to sort of pluck out these various tools in order to tell the story. And to me, there's no reason why we can't push these boundaries a little bit further um, from what's kind of typically done to be more inclusive of various viewpoints to just make it better for everyone. And we had found a lot of success with previous projects like 3D modeling and creating 3D prints and working with students at the National Federation of the Blind to improve those prints and truly make them more accessible for everybody. And the sonification project that we had started on with Matt went viral. And I just feel like every time we sort of do one of these new takes or new tools, we're rewarded, right? So why wouldn't we want to do more? Um, so JJ and Christine's approach to be able to describe the information, describe the data, the visual in a more comprehensive, fun, um, and accessible way just seemed like a true like win-win scenario. So yeah, we got to work. And I, I think we've managed to come up with with a, a formula, if you will, not really formulaic, but the sort of building blocks to be able to help tell these stories in new ways. What are some examples of the, the stories that you've told? I don't know if it's too simple to say, tell me an image that you described or whether you're talking about larger data sets that comprise multiple images and, and video elements or, or whatever. But can you give me an example of something that you guys have worked together on? Yeah. I mean, JJ, do you want to um, sort of describe the cat's eye nebula one? That's one of my yeah. favorite examples because it's food based, as we know. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's very entertaining. 
For sure. Let me, I got to pull up my cat's eye nebula and see if I can. Sure. Oh, and and I can was, sort of describe the do. science while, while he's doing that. So sure. the, the cat's eye nebula is a potential future state of our sun, for example. So stars like our sun, as they sort of mature, as they start of, you know, their, their state changes, um, eventually they sort of puff out their outer layers and it creates this beautiful sort of nebula with these concentric circles around it and some like jets and other types of really exciting things happening around the image and they're quite lovely um but jj and christine's description of it just took us to a whole new level (laughs) cue jj (laughs) so what i came up with was um the the cat's eye uh, video features a static image of an ethereal shape surrounded by concentric circles. The shape is the cat's eye nebula, a huge cloud of gas and dust blown off by a dying star. The concentric circles are bubbles expelled by the star over time. The dust cloud resembles a translucent pastry pulled to golden yellow points near our upper right and lower left with a blob of purple jelly inside the bulbous pastry blue core. <laughs> that was wow. that was kind of how we described the <laughs> it's actual. It's tea time. <laughs> and then you broke for brunch and yeah, exactly and, and exactly. ate because we were all hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so JJ, was that a the final product of much? tinkering um, amongst you or did you send that to Kim and she went yeah that's about right there's a (laughs) lot that goes into something like that because the first has to come the um the explanation the science behind this what I'm given Kim sends over uh the, the text documents that they're working with and whatever images that they have so images or videos or you know visual podcasts whatever it is that they've got I get and then I kind of have to take it all and pull it together because what we found was if I just go in with a pure straight description of the image too much of the science is missing and it doesn't make any sense if I just described this pastry looking thing well what does that mean with regards to our universe it doesn't it doesn't actually give enough information. So I have to integrate some of that science. And a lot of what I end up writing has little, you know, in parentheses, please confirm, have I got this right? Is this right? <laughs> and then the way I send that over to Chris and Chris makes her comments like, I'm not quite sure I get this. Uh, I like what you're doing here, but if I, am I misunderstanding? And then that once Christine and I have got that worked out, we send it to uh, to Kim and Kim pulls it together, make sure that, uh, that, that the science is right and uh, and that it all fits together and that's how we we kind of pull these descriptions into place it's amazing it's a I, I really have never worked on anything like this before it's pretty fantastic and this is all in a pretty small time frame too I have to say JJ yeah. and Christine have been great because when we're working on a deadline to get a release out of a new data set a new image a new product um, it's tight timing right like it's it's really kind of down to the wire and I really wanted to have this material released with the the image going out right we I didn't want it to feel like an afterthought or just something kind of done when we could, like, I really wanted it to feel real time or as near real time as is feasible. And JJ and Christine have been <laughs> fantastic sports about responding under our our very short deadlines that that can often occur. And and Christine as the middle person in this equation, when you get this description from JJ that will eventually be scientized to make sure that it's accurate, <laughs> uh, what what kind of 
responses and, and comments and suggestions do you tend to make? At the beginning, it was really interesting because what I found was that as a lay person with, you know, a lay person's understanding of science, so much information was coming that, first of all, I had to slow my screen reader down way <laughs> slow and then go line by line and make sure I was taking in everything. And then I started making suggestions like, can we make the sentences much shorter? Can we put in lots of periods and lots of commas? Because um, I'm not sure how it is for sighted people reading, but when I'm reading with a screen reader, the pauses, even the tiny little pause that the screen reader inserts with a comma, for one, it shows me for sure that's a discrete idea, and it gives my mind that like half second to process and sort of make sense out of it. Um, and so, and then also using proper nouns instead of saying the nebula and the gases float around. It looks like, so instead of saying it, use the word nebula again, like the language became really important that, that lots of pronouns were used and it's very specific, lots of proper nouns, um, just because the, the information is so dense and so rich. So that, um, that process took some time of refining because it's a, it's not you, the way we usually write. Usually we try and alternate, you know, long sentences, short yeah. sent sentences for the aesthetic. But in this kind of writing, the, the staccato bursts of information were really, uh, really important to me. Um, as a as a totally blind person since birth, the color stuff I just have to kind of glaze over and go, yeah, that's important, and and don't think too hard about it because it doesn't have actual meaning for me. But I understand that it's important for the image and for people who have color uh, in their in their memory uh, repertoire. And then, um, yeah, and the integrating of the like J J was saying, the integrating of the the description and the science. It wasn't intuitive at first. We assumed that they would just be descriptions the way you describe an art piece. And it became clear pretty pretty quickly to me that that wasn't really going to make sense because in an art piece, you can say things like the bowl of flowers sits on the table. And we all know what a bowl and flowers and a table are. But when you're talking about stuff that's so abstract, and if you're a non-scientist, um, the reference are not there. And so it became clear that integrating description with the information, which is counterintuitive to what an audio describer yeah. normally does, um, it became clear that that was, that was really important too. And so, um, yeah, now I'm just kind of reading through, now it's, it's so much more refined. Like we, it doesn't take me as long to, to read through what JJ sends because we've refined our, our style choices. And now it's just making sure for me that everything is consistent and, and makes sense. And I still read really, really slowly. <laughs> but, you know, I would say an interesting thing about what Christine was just talking about, about not separating the science and the visual is some in some earlier studies that we had done um, as part of the Chander Group maybe 10 years or so ago in a project called Aesthetics and Astronomy is that we had actually found that people appreciated the images more when they had the science description as part of the sort of overall package. Um, so to be honest, like, I think it, it makes such sense now to consider it a, a complete package of the science and the description as a way to be able to help people just understand it, appreciate it, um, and, and get it better. Um, that combination of those two is just so important. But the challenge is you've got to provide that 
description, whether it's a food analogy or some other analogy that gets people excited while not leaving the science aside. And I would imagine that sometimes it's kind of tempting to hide the science behind a link, but you don't want to do that. You want to put that, put it all in one description that somebody is both going to be interested enough to keep reading, but also get an accurate conception of what the science is telling them. Yes, 100%. And what's really useful about this project is we've been able to utilize those those great descriptions in many different ways. So we, we put them on our website as plain text. We record them in an audio format and link it into a podcast. But then we also use that text as metadata within the image so that if the image is separated from the web page out in the, you know, Ethernet somewhere, um, it is still within the data. And when we put it on social media, the image, we add that description as the alt tag. Um, and when it goes on our digital platforms, it's the alt tag. So like it's getting many, many different uses as a way to just improve our various outputs on all of these different kinds of platforms so that hopefully no matter where you're coming across it, you still have a way to access um, this really useful description. So you were saying that you worked in fairly short turnarounds. And and, and that's the like I say, the part that is amazing to me is that you're you're really trying to hop on three feet there with the, this, the visual description, the information that's useful for a person who's blind, and then, oh yeah, let's not make, let's not mess up the science. And what, what are this, what are some, some ways that you, you make sure you get that right? Are there things you can do to sort of just make absolutely sure you've got what you want out of the work that you've done? On my end, at least, um, everything that I do is like by committee. So we have a group of us that we sort of be are able to share the responsibility um, and also the accountability of making sure this material is as accurate as possible. So it's not just, you know, me final yes from on high, um, but I always make sure to get another input from at least one other person, if not two, um, from our group to make sure that the pieces are definitely fitting in the puzzle. And I think after doing this for a little over about six months now, we do have a, a nice sort of connection between JJ, Christine, and I, like a flow, if you will, to get this sort of the workflow um, functioning in a, in a pretty good way. Yeah, and from my point of view, like the information that I get, I I tend to get a a, a, a lot of hard science from Kim. Like I do get the uh, most of what's written. It's it seems to be uh, almost in finished form. Like the the information I get is pretty close to uh, to being final draft. So I've got a lot of science already there. What I try to avoid doing is then just you know, going to Wikipedia and, and doing my additional research there because <laughs> I'm not trusting Wikipedia with some of this stuff. So if I don't know, you know, throughout, if we've got 24 to 48 hours to get this banged out, then, you know, maybe I'll shoot Kim an email. If I got this right, is this correct? And, and I'll take that information and layer it in. And then I really do, if I'm not sure of something and I want to make sure it's flagged, I put it right in the script uh, and I send that question. So not only is, of course, Kim and committee, not only are they uh, checking over everything that, that, that uh, you know, that I have written and Christine has, has checked over, but there are some specific ideas that I really think need to be flagged because I am I'm not even sure of myself on those moments. And as when I'm kind of editing the, what JJ sends, I'm I'm much more rigorous than I would normally be when I'm reading science. Um, I read through it a bunch of times, and I make sure I understand everything. And if I 
don't, if something is not clear, I won't just kind of, you know, often when we read something on online, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, okay, I sort of get that. But in this case, I need to make sure I understand it perfectly, because this is the ultimate in awesome science description. And if I don't understand it, then it's it's not quite, you know, succeeding at what we all want to achieve. So I'm, I'm much more rigorous in my reading of this stuff than I am of general science stuff that I read online. Well, and you're the ultimate beta reader because you didn't have a hand in creating it. They're, JJ and Kim are giving you this material that you obviously have an interest in and you have some background as like an amateur space geek, if you'll accept that term, but you are not creating the information. So, so do, JJ and Kim, do you find that Christine is a good editor? Does she tell you things that surprise you or that you go, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that or oh. that, that changed the kind of information that you provide? Absolutely. For me, I mean, wh- when, when Chris bounces something back to me and says, didn't quite get this, I, I, I absolutely trust it um, because there's, there's, frankly, there's no cheating. Like <laughs> Chris hasn't seen these images. So if she doesn't get it, she doesn't get it. And I need to try and find a new way to explain it and, I, and a new way to describe it. And maybe what I've done is I've relied too heavy on the image description and not pulled in the science, or I've frankly just used too much of the science and I haven't done a very good job of talking about what it looks like in this particular, in this visualization. So when, I, I mean, the notes that I get from Chris are invaluable. It was essential to start this off when we started this this project that it, it be a collaboration. This was not a consultation, right? This was us working through together. How are we going to make this work? And so even at, at this stage, when we are, we have a pattern, we have a routine, we have those building blocks, as Kim says, I need that collaboration. It needs to be uh, uh, both of us that that feel good about the script before it goes back to Kim. Uh, otherwise, it's just, it's, I don't trust it. Yeah, 100%. Like, we could not, I would not do this project oh. without Christine. Like, there is no good point of me and JJ sitting down and thinking, oh, here we go, this should work, right? Yeah. Like, I want to make sure we've got stakeholders involved in these steps because otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. Why do it at all if you're not going to be collaborative with your communities? Kim, it sounds like at least Chandra and maybe NASA as as a whole, but that's probably not right, so I'll let you tell me whether what you think about this. But it, but it sounds like you guys are pretty well plugged into the things that need to happen to make content accessible, both through what you've done with Christine and JJ and what you're doing in terms of disseminating this information in social media and podcast and, and text form. So is this organic in the, in the Chandra organization? Have you been doing accessible content for a while? You know, I, I think it's, it's definitely a viewpoint, if that makes sense. I personally have always had this viewpoint as something that I've wanted to do. And it took me a while to first understand my feel enough to, to know what's even possible. And then technology started just zooming away and things just started to get so much easier to be able to incorporate. And now we're at like a higher sort of efficiency with functioning, with creating these data sets, with analyzing them, with creating the the representations of them in so many different ways. And technology has really, really helped that um, so that now we can work with things through sound, through 3D prints, through 
haptic through the visual descriptions. Um, but, you know, it, it definitely has been an organic sort of evolution. Um, and again, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, every time we try something like this, we're <laughs> rewarded. So why wouldn't we want to keep pushing that bar, right? I, I find it very, very enjoyable because we learn different things when we consider them in different ways, right? When we bring an exploded star into 3D, we learn that some of them turn themselves inside out and you can actually determine where, say, the iron is or the silicon or the sulfur. And so in a 3D print, that can all be mapped. And you can learn about things like exploded stars differently when you're touching them or when you're exploring them for virtual reality or when you're exploring them through space than you can if you're looking at just a flat like pancake style 2D image. So like it's to everybody's benefits. It's to the researcher's benefit. It's to the non-expert's benefit to be able to have this sort of wealth of information um, in their in their hand. And are you getting feedback from people who interact with this content that they, they like what you're doing and they want more of it? So far, I'd love to hear more from both Christine and JJ as well. But um, so far, I've been pretty happy um, with the response to it, both within my organization and without. We are trying to drum up more awareness of it and make sure, you know, people actually know that this exists. And we're always looking to improve and refine. So the more people can listen to this or understand this stuff and and tell us how we're doing, the better it'll be, the better it'll get. Have you seen any interest in other parts of, of NASA? Because there, there's so much going on at NASA and so many very different contexts that I, I'm sure there, there aren't all that many opportunities to, to collaborate. And this seems like a place where some folks might be able to learn from what you're doing. Yes, for sure. I've actually been very, very happy with the response internally. And I've been asked to talk about this project with a few different groups at headquarters. And I'm very much looking forward to doing that and sharing the lessons learned that Christine and, and JJ and I have been been working on. I think you can only get better from here, right? I think it's just a matter of figuring out how other missions or other types of projects can understand how to approach things in this way and to hopefully adapt them for their own missions and their own projects. And then we can keep learning and keep growing and keep trying new things. I always like to encourage any blind and low vision people who have an interest in astronomy to let let organizations know what you'd like to get access to. So, for example, I follow NASA on Twitter and I see things like, oh, the new Falcon rocket. And I think, hmm, what does that look like? And so if you, like me, feel feel like there's more opportunities for description or ways to make NASA's work more accessible, it's really necessary to let, let them know because uh, that's how change happens is by people hearing from the community about what we want and what is going to make astronomy and space exploration more accessible to, to the blind and low vision community. Let me tell you about another show on Relay FM, Make Do. If you like this show, there's a really good chance you'll like Make Do. You don't have to monetize your hobbies, but if you want to, Make Do wants to be your cheerleader. Listen as you hobby to Tiff Arment and Julia Scott at relay.fm slash make do or search for Make Do wherever you get your podcasts. So where can people find all this wonderful material? Feel free to do websites, social media, and any place people can interact. 
Yes, so for sure. Um, Thank you for asking that. Uh, You can go to the Chandra website, which is chandra.si.edu. And you can also go to our various social media accounts. Um, For example, on Twitter, we are Chandra X-Ray. Um, and on Instagram, we are NASA Chander X-Ray. And don't ask why we had to use different names, but we did. <laughs> so <laughs> we had to uh, space those out poorly, apparently. Um, but yeah, we'd, we'd really, really would appreciate um, feedback and just like writing in, emailing in and letting us know what you think about it. Because it helps us. You know, I, I want to keep these types of projects going and moving forward. And it really does help me do that when I get responses back from the community on how it's helping them or not, if it can be improved or or what have you. So yeah, input is appreciated. And I think you mentioned a podcast too. Um, So if you go to chandra.si.edu slash resources slash podcast slash description underscore audio dot html or you can also take a shortcut by going to chandra.si.edu slash tactile t-a-c-t-i-l-e and then following the cues from there to the visual description page jj christine what what haven't we talked about what do we need to know that uh, that, that, that i didn't give you a chance to, to talk about with regard to this project i just gotta say that Sometimes I get to say the phrase, oh, sorry, I'm busy then. I have a meeting with someone from NASA. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could have used that today. I should have. You could have used that today. You can still use it over dinner. I'm like, yeah, I had this. And and then I had an interview with NASA. My (laughs) friends, uh, there is a podcast here on Really FM called Liftoff, and they they talk about space, usually to do with manned space flight. But I'm looking forward to going to them. So, yeah, I talked to somebody from NASA for Parallel today. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just another day <laughs> in my career. Uh, I have As to say, you do. <laughs> Kim, when you when you were talking about you know what other departments and what other uh, groups within NASA you were engaging with, and you mentioned you know other missions, and I, it was the first time it occurred to me. Wait a minute, I think I'm part of a mission. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Arcand and JJ Hunt and Christine Malik, thank you so much for coming on Parallel and telling us all about this wonderful data visualization, audiofied, uh, <laughs> this content <laughs> that has been turned into multiple formats. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, checking it out myself. Thank you all for being with me on Parallel today. Thanks, Shelley. Thank you. You can follow this show over on Twitter at Parallel Pods, and please do for announcements of upcoming shows. And to interact with me with your comments or guest suggestions, those are always welcome. You can also follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly. The website for the show, should you wish to subscribe, and why haven't you subscribed already, is relay.fm slash parallel. You can also become a member of Relay FM at that URL. So do those things, won't you? And we'll be back in two weeks with another show. Bye-bye.